Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So what's our system for reflection after our practices and games and team meetings? I love that old John Dewey quote, we do not learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on experience. I think it's an important reminder for us as coaches because I think for many of us, our system for reflecting on our experiences, our practices, games, team meetings, you name it, that system lacks intentionality. It lacks a clear methodical process that ensures accuracy and growth. See, experience alone won't help us grow. A try again or a try harder next practice, that's not gonna help us grow. We need to be purposeful or even better, deliberate in our reflections. And that's what Mark, Bennett, and Alan Keene will be discussing with Nate and I in the third part of our three-part series. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast brought to you by Thrive on Challenge. I'm JP Nurbin, joined by my friend and co-host Nate Sanderson. Each week in about 30 minutes, we discuss important principles and strategies of transformational leadership. At Thrive on Challenge, we help coaches to raise the standards and strengthen the relationships in their program because we know this type of culture produces better leaders, better people, and better results. To learn more about how we can help you, go to thriveonchallenge.com, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the coaching notes to every episode of this podcast. You're listening to episode 147, Developing in an Effective Reflection System with Alan Keene and Mark Bennett. Coaches, if you haven't already, be sure to check out episodes 145 and 146, where we discuss practice planning and how to facilitate more effective practices. I want to touch on just what you said there, Mark, because I think this is where I'd like to kind of, you know, maybe spend the last part of our conversation here today on is when you leave this session, I think so many coaches, even as a staff, might sit around, they have a chat, ah, you know, about how things went the next day or in that session. And then the next day, the coach just sits down by himself and puts it on a practice plan. And there really isn't much reflection or that, in my opinion, and I can go back to all my practice plans where I reflected on how that practice went and I might change up a drill that I did. I might change up, you know, let's go five lines instead of three lines. I mean, the changes and I thought, oh, this is progress, but not really the progress and the growth that you're talking about there, Mark. You know, what are some you know practical ways that coaches should be from one session to the next making the most of their reflection so that they can actually be growing as a coach? Well, there's two massive elements to that is reflection needs to be as accurate as possible. If your reflection's inaccurate, your actions based on your conclusions could be wrong. So it's one thing understanding how to effectively self-evaluate and then also having a consistent system that you would do in a sequence and an order to allow you to, to actually, one, be consistent in your reflection, but also make sure it's a successful reflection based on you're going to do something with it and grow. So one of the things we've also always got to recognize is if you're a single coach, you still need to find another coach. Let's look at worst case scenario. You coach on your own. You still need to link up with another coach that so doesn't even have to be in your sport, but is understanding the same principles in the same boat of the challenges. So even have phone call pre-agreed or WhatsApp or whatever it is where you agree after practice sessions you will do a reflection of self based on your behaviors, what the success of the session was, and the players. 
So then, then you've got someone that's impartial to you that can challenge you and, and, and hold you accountable and also support you when you may have been caught up in the outcome, which is negatively filtering your accuracy, or you're not going to do it because it was a bad session or, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. So that in itself is setting up a framework. And as Alan said earlier, we follow a principle of self first, then if you're with other coaches, other coaches, and then it's the players. We're asking the players to do self first, then the other players and then coaches. If it's in the coach group, the most junior, so everyone's in a WhatsApp or similar groups, everyone, junior coach goes first, self, other coaches, players, senior coach goes last. But we're listening to, it's a framework based on behaviors first, based on the success criteria. Then there has to be, okay, so now we've done that hot review, how accurate were we? Use some sorts of referencing tool of the cold review, i.e. a day afterwards or when your state now is in a nice reflective, it's not the state you're in in the moment. Can you watch a video of yourself or can you just pick up on, you can read back now your WhatsApp, what you typed then or what another coach said and you can go, that's made me think, can we have another chat even though that's over coffee or over a phone call? Is understanding that reflection, accuracy reflection as an auditory tool for how good your coaching is in the moment of your team, but also your own development is critical to development. So put in a systemic approach that is robust enough so you can't dip in and out of it and something that improve accuracy, you can do something with it. And, and this is, I think, where people get a bit lost, where they think they are on their own. So they haven't set up that. Let's find another coach that we're on the same journey. Let's agree up. Or they haven't just set up an agreed framework. So Alan knows, however good Alan is, there's times after a game, we do it after games still now, um, where Alan or whoever the junior coach is within that team won't put in the what's up, the hot review in the time frame of agreed. So I wait and then I'm it, guys, hot review. So we, we've got to have that. If we're saying there's a value, we can't dip in and out. But also we, we need a framework where we go, OK, what is the sequence? We've got referencing where we've agreed what the behaviors are. We've agreed we know what success is. So we're not going to allow a, maybe a 30-point win negatively influence our accuracy of a review. Because we won so well, the review often gets generalized and we don't follow the protocols. Then when we're 30-0 down, all of a sudden we're dissecting every single minute. But actually... We're negatively influenced by the scoreline. We're no longer accurate in our evaluation of ourselves, uh, the choices we made, the players and the other coaches. So we've got to understand irrelevant of scoreline, irrelevant of outcome success. The review must be the same. There must be an order and sequence that's based on behaviors first, that's pre-agreed, and then the success criteria. And there must be agreed timeframes of who does what and when, and also agree what if. So what if someone doesn't? What permissions do we have where we can challenge somebody or whatever it might be? So then it becomes real. It becomes robust. And this is where if you have someone outside of your team that is part of that support mechanism, they're not caught up in the emotions of the team and the pressure, especially with pro teams. They can be that impartial person that sometimes picks up on stuff you don't see, can ask the questions and also to challenge you when you don't do it. So there's there's. There's a few more, but that's that's the basics of the structure, if that makes sense. Now, that's phenomenal. So many takeaways, Mark. Before I have Alan share how, what that looks like for him, I just want to recap. First off, for it to be an effective reflection, you said it needs to, one, be as accurate as possible, and two, we need a consistent system um, to use in our reflection. Uh, Great reminder for us as uh, a coach and even our staff, we need to flip the order of that traditional reflection, which I think for most of us, 
we naturally reflect on our players first than ourselves, but you're encouraging coaches to reflect first on self, um, coaching peers if we have assistant coaches, and then lastly on our players. And two other great principles for reflection that you gave us were, when we do reflect, um, we can't allow outcomes to influence that reflection process. And secondly, you know, there's incredible value of having someone outside of our team that's not emotionally attached um, to to the team and to the results. There's credible value of them being a part of that review process. Now, Alan, can you share with us a little bit about what that looks like for you? What we do with our coaches and, and our national team coaches, we're really good at this, um, but we've been doing this for three years. And, you know, I had two new assistant coaches with, the, with, the, with our men's team this year, and it took a bit longer to get it right. But what we do after every game, every practice, and like I said, to our national team coaches, we were way better at this. We nailed it 100% of the time. Immediately, once we shake hands with the opposition's coaching staff and the opposition, the players, we go our separate ways for about three minutes. And what you'll see, if you're watching us, you'll see me on one side of the court, maybe one of the assistants on the end of the bench, and the other assistant's either sitting in the stands or he's on the other side of the court. And what we're doing in that moment is taking our hot review reflections on today's performance. And the reason we separate from each other, that we don't say a word, we shake hands and we separate, is we don't want to filter each other. So we want our reviews to be ours, and I don't want them to be filtered by me as the head coach, and I don't want to be filtered by their thoughts either, what they saw. And then we come together and we share those reflections. So that takes me on to the sharing aspect. And I'm very lucky that I have Mark, who emotionally is disconnected from our team. Whereas our owner or another coach in the club, there's an emotional connection to the performance of the team. And me sharing my reflections, I think, could be slightly tainted by their emotional investment in that team, in that club. So I'm very lucky that I have Mark. But now, let me paint a picture for you. Mark is not with me. I'm coaching against Sweden under 16 about six years ago, seven years ago. My partner, Esther, is there watching the game. And she came to the third game. We played them in a three-game series. We won the third game, so we won the series 2-1. We're driving home. I'm happy as Larry, thinking I'm the best coach because we won the series. Esther's sitting in the car quiet, and I ask her, I say, you're very quiet. Is everything all right? She gave me her reflections on my coaching, which brought me back down to earth with a bang. And she did it in a very pleasant, um, kind way. But the message was very, hit me hard because here was I thinking I've done a great job. And she was reviewing my performance on the sideline in terms of my behavior. And actually, I look back on that now and think, wow, that was an awesome review. At the time, I wasn't thinking it because I didn't know then what I know now. And I th so my message with this one is, and, and it goes to um, one, one of my assistant coaches, he coaches alone pretty much throughout the year. And I said to him, let your wife see your timeouts and ask her, what does she think? And he was like, no, no, I can't do that. I said, why not? I said, you know, you're, you're complaining that you don't have a Mark Bennett with you. Well, let your wife watch your timeouts and ask her, what does she think of how you are on the sideline? Or how, how did you behave in this timeout interaction? So... I think you, I don't think you have to share your reflections. Otherwise, they're just your reflections and no other perspective or challenge can, can come in. 
if Esther didn't share with me her reflections on that drive on the way home, I might have taken longer to get to the point I'm at now because that was a turning point for me as well when she said what she said about my behavior on the sideline. And that was her reflections on it. So um, the other thing I would say is video is huge, JP. You know, and I think, you know, everybody, even if you coach alone, set up your phone, get a tripod for your phone, put it in the corner, just record as much as the practice as you can, even if it's only the stuff you do in the half court. And then go home and watch the video or take your have your thoughts, do your write it down in the back of your plan. Like you'll see on one of the session plans, essentially, I think there was a space for a review. And that's just to put in the, the hot review stuff and then go back and watch it and, and, and measure up your hot review with your cold review. But um, yeah, moving, not being filtered by somebody else is important. Uh, sharing 100%. Video, the biggest tool you have for, for reflection because it is what it says on the video. You can't lie. But the other thing is, and where I think it's really important that Mark talked about just there, we would come away from winning games this year, and I would know that we didn't play well in terms of what acceptable is for our, in terms of our behavior, our commitment, our execution of stuff that we had been nailing in practice. I would know that it was unacceptable in times, but our players would review based on the outcome of that game, outcome being score. So very often I had to realign our players and our assistant coaches, and I had to have a checkpoint myself. But Mark will probably vouch for me, actually, this year I was really good at it. We'd win games, and I would my review would look like negative comparison to the assistant coaches or some of the players. I wasn't reviewing the scoreline. I was reviewing our success criteria going into that game, which was a lot to do with our commitment to the choices we made on the court, our behavior and emotional state, our co coaches venting and commentating, or actually scanning and sniping for success criteria. So I think in staying true to what your success criteria is in your review is probably the most important thing because otherwise you're effectively lying to yourself. Well, I think that's an, an important reminder to stay focused on the success criteria uh, regardless of the outcome. And it connects with what another Englishman, uh, Greg McEwen, shared with us on episode 142 uh, of the podcast. You know, and that was Coach Larry Gelwick's the Highland rugby coach one of the most winningest coaches in the States, how he did a very similar review process post-game when they used the acronym WIN, what's important now. And when they were reviewing, it wasn't about the score. It's about what they decided before the game, what was important now. Now, since our conversation uh, this spring, Alan, I've been encouraging more and more coaches than ever to video themselves because I think that's so important. And also, I love this idea of sharing reflections but doing it in a way that it is immediate and other people's review can't influence your review. It reminds me of something I believe that Bill Belichick at the Patriots does, which is to have all his assistants write down their review before they share it because he doesn't want other people in the room who share earlier to influence their review. And I was thinking back to um, our review process with our players, new players at the academy or early on with the pro players. And I think what you find, the trend over the past few years is when you ask players to review, they automatically become, or assistant coaches or coaches, they automatically become deficit detectors. And, you know, I think early on, you, my experience is I find any review process we've done, everyone's quick to point out the bad stuff we did or the stuff we didn't do well. And, you know, there has to get to a point where it has to be realigned and you have to share with them, well, what a successful review looks like. Honesty, transparency, 
recognition of things we did well, but also recognition of things we didn't do well or needs to be better. And I think early on, you got to be very mindful that it can't be just a dumping ground for all the negative stuff. Like it's important that this review process highlights the good stuff we're doing. Why? Because we want to keep doing it. We want to keep that stuff alive. And I, I feel that that's an important factor and criteria that can often get forgotten about unless we highlight it and talk about it now, that people very quickly become deficit detectors instead of putting on you know, your strength lenses where you, see, where you see the good stuff you're doing. Me included as a head coach, I'm very quick in our reviews, Mark, you, you could probably acknowledge this, to, to highlight the stuff that needs to be better because why? There's an emotional attachment maybe to that outcome of the game. And this is where I'm at on my journey. And, and I'm very clear about what my uh, future success needs to be. And it's, it's still removing myself from the emotions of the score and staying true to the success criteria in my review and not just being a deficit detector. I just felt it was really important to highlight that, JP. It's a good point, Alan, because um, we take that into all parts of coaching. We, we, we're not good, and I'm generalizing here, but we're not good within sport. And to be, to be fair, sometimes in education, that getting players and students to self-reflect on, okay, you did that better than you've ever done it before. What did you do differently that made that so successful? I want you to share with me, do you recognize what you did there differently? Because that's what we want to repeat. And often even in practice sessions, even in, when you ask the players to, to, to come together in a chat, They'll only be talking about what went wrong and how they can put it right. When you listen to coaches, often they'll only question a player when they've done something wrong. So straight away, the player's thinking, coach asked me a question. Um, so definitely I've done something wrong. Um, where was it? It was in defense transition. Um, okay, so it can only be one of the two things. Okay, coach, it's this. And the coach nods, goes, great, you know, brilliant, off you go. So straight away, we've got to change. This is a cultural thing, JP. We have to change to say, we need to be accurate on recognized differences. We need to recognize when we need to adapt to something, but we need to recognize this is working. Let's keep doing it. Even in a game, this is working, guys. Let's keep doing it until the opposition figure it out. Then we can adapt again. But it's it's that's a mentality we need to develop in life, really. And I think it's an important point Alan's made. I couldn't agree more with that. I can't tell you how transformational it was when we just started asking players um, what worked. You know, when one team's been successful or you've, you've created something in practice or a halftime, you know, just getting them to be able to recognize that um, just changes the whole dynamic of the locker room, let alone, you know, their feedback and their way forward. It just changes that mood when they're conditioned to look for the things that were successful as well as ways that they can continue to improve. I love that. JP, you mentioned a moment ago that, you know, coaches are so used to reviewing players. Let's review the player's performance. And it, it, might be, it might be alien to some or new to some to actually, hang on a second, I got to review my performance, but I'm the head coach. And yeah, the, I, I think you have to be mindful of the coach is in charge. At the end of the day, if the national team loses and I'm the head coach, you know, the buck is going to lie with me on the, from the outside world, the federation and, and everyone that's invested in that. And that's the privilege of a head coach. But even though I'm in charge, it's a very interdependent approach to how I will manage and lead this team. And be and, and uh, an honest review and self-review of your performance goes a long way towards whether that's going to be a successful journey or not. But I will say this about coaches reviewing themselves. For me, it's a skill. And why am I saying it's a skill? Because it takes time to do it well. 
and it takes breaking down a lot of barriers to do it well and gain true value from it. What are those barriers? The reality is some of those barriers are ego, a willingness or an unwillingness to be vulnerable, maybe afraid of it might expose you. I've had players come back to me on this WhatsApp group telling me I've coached a bad game. I've got to have a, I've got to have a certain level of comfort and confidence in myself to be able to, um, to, to em- em- not, not just take that, not just cushion that, but embrace that, embrace it and reach for it and, and, and pull it right in and not bat it away. It takes a certain level. But that's, what, that's all part of the journey, I feel, of practicing being a good self-review coach. And it doesn't happen in the first time you do it. It, doesn't, it, might not, it might take a full season before you're comfortable. It might take more than a full season. It might take a lot less than that. And again, I, I would say I was very lucky, JP, because this is not easy. And Mar- I had Mark. I've always had Mark back. I want to say back in me. I've always felt like he's there. Like I've, he's got my back, so I'm all right. But if I fall flat in my face, I feel like I got support there. And I think that's one of the key factors. Like how do you build a support system around you to get you through this stuff that's really difficult but incredibly valuable? We want and we want player to player to, to learn to be robust and accepting feedback, even if it's not what they want to hear. We want coaches to do that as well. But here, here's the key point. This is not this is where it's actually you need to be very robust. If someone generalizes that, you say, I don't think you were very good or you didn't do that. Open mind, open ears. Go, yeah, okay, tell me more. Can you give me some specifics? Quantify that for me. This is what we're asking players and coaches to do. This is what I always ask Alan to do, any coach I'm mentoring, and I want them to do with the players. If they say something, quantify it. Give me some details. Give me some options. Give me, okay, so what else could we have done there? Because if someone can't answer that, then they shouldn't, they should be saying, well, I, I kind of don't agree with this, but I'm not sure why I need them help or actually all you're doing is complaining but actually you're not really evaluating there's a difference between complaining and evaluating there's a difference between saying yeah great well done to a coach which is the other negativity we had coaches and you've got a whole team on the court or on a pitch and the coach going yeah great well done well who's great who's well done Uh, there could be people that are unacceptable you just shout that and also it shouldn't be coach doing it it should be player self-recognizing. If they're not, it should be their teammate next to them. Putting a name on it, giving specifics. So when we're talking about all this, it just picks up what you said there, Alan, is we want people to share without fear, but we want them to put some detail on it and quantify it because we want the accuracy of the reflection of it, not just the generalization. And I think that is the very power and importance of the success criteria. It helps us to keep our focus not just on the controllables, but on what's important in that moment what we can control. All right, that's it for our three-part series with Mark and Alan. So much great content that I will be putting in our coaching notes PDF, over four pages of notes that I took. You can get that PDF by subscribing to the Thrive on Challenge newsletter. The link is in the episode details of this podcast, or you can go to thriveonchallenge.com. Also, huge thanks to Alan and Mark, not only for their incredible content, but their friendship. It's great to be on this side of the pond with them as I now live in Alan's home country of Ireland and they are in England. I'm looking forward to meeting up with them when things calm down and we can travel safely. For now, check them out at pdscoaching.com and follow them on Twitter. Their links are in the episode details of this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coaching Culture Podcast. We've got episodes that drop every Monday morning.